Today's reading is Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my list. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night he instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, when you you die and you get to heaven, what do you think will be the expression on Jesus' face when he sees you? Just think about that for a moment. Do you think he's going to be like really angry? Or is it going to be a big scowly sort of face, a face that's all kind of judgy, ready to jump on you and list all the naughty things that you did during your life? What sort of expression will it be uh, on his face? Uh, is, is he a humorless Jesus? Is he the kind of fierce, scary Jesus? Uh, I think many people think he's like that. I, I would want to suggest the expression on Jesus' face is going to be one of joy. He's going to be absolutely thrilled to see you. He's going to rush up and welcome you and embrace you and, and pull you in close and give you the best hug in history. And he's going to, his beam will be lighting up his face. He'll be so excited and thrilled to welcome you into heaven, to see you, for you to get to see him face to face. Unfortunately, though, many Christians don't live like that. Uh, many Christians actually live in the complete opposite of a place of joy. Uh, They are what I would call grumpy cat Christians. (laughs) Okay, stop smiling. This is a church, all right? We're not having any of that in here. We operate like that too often. Too many Christians do. Um, After all, imagine this. Imagine you were St. Peter. How would you look if you had just been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Would you look like this? Absolutely furious. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't I go back to my fishing boat? I've given the keys of all eternity. (laughs) A man walked into a a grocery store checkout line, very well-dressed, very sober, serious-looking man, and the lady in front of him was checking out. She kept looking back at him, and she couldn't help glancing back at him as she was checking out her stuff. And eventually she looks back at this um, serious-looking man, and she says, "Excuse uh, excuse me for asking you this, but do you happen to be a church pastor? He said, no, I've just been sick for the last two weeks. 
we, we, we give off this vibe very often that Christians are kind of this joyless, mirthless, it's, it's kind of more serious than anything in the universe sort of mode of, of, of being. And yet we as followers of Jesus should be the community of sheer joy. We should be the place who know how to have uh, this sense of fun and, and humor and life, but, but this sense of joy uh, as we gather together, as, as we are going about life. Uh, I think back to... Um, when I became a Christian when I was 15, and the, the pivotal moment was I was on a, a summer camp, and I hadn't been raised in a Christian household. And what I saw was these, uh, it was an outward bound camp, let me explain this. And so we were doing things like canoeing and snorkeling and diving down to wrecks, and we were climbing up cliff faces and windsurfing, all these really, really cool activities. And uh, what I noticed was there was something different about the leaders there. These guys who were perhaps uh, 8, 10, 15 years older than me at that time. Uh, and uh, I thought they were really old because they were like 23. And, um, uh, but they were, they, were, they were really cool, but there was something more than that. And there was this joy about living life. There was this joy about, yeah, we get to go and do all these cool activities. We're going to go and dive down to this wreck and, and try and explore all this stuff. And we're going canoeing on the sea and all these awesome things we got to do. But it came out of this overflow of a deep, profound uh, sense of joy about who they were in God. And the, ho- the two things kind of swirled together and shaped who they were. You know, we should be the most joyful people on the planet if we know Jesus. We should be the most joyful people on the planet because we know Jesus. It should shape our identity and who we are. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, um, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And we, we need to remember that. And so today, obviously, we're talking about this, this idea of joy in our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit from Galatians 5. Um, and, and as I think about joy, uh, I just want to give you a phrase that we're going to come back to. Uh, I'm going to argue that joy is both a gift and a choice. Joy is a gift and it's also a choice. We're going to look at what that means for us today and how we can live that out uh, as we go forward from here. But first of all, let's think a little bit about our culture. You see, our culture has a very false sense of what it is to get joy in our lives. Uh, Our culture says that the way you get joy is to do anything other than drawing close to God. And so you have different people who have found different expressions of that. So uh, the philosopher Voltaire was a strident atheist, and he said, I wish I had never been born. So for him, unbelief did not actually provide joy in his life. You see, this false narrative ran through, which he'd taken hold of, and he began to realize how false it was. Lord Byron, who was a great poet in the 19th century, he lived this life of extreme pleasure. So he tried to find joy in pleasure and pleasing himself. And he said, and wrote actually, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. I don't know what canker is, but it sounds bad. But he says he doesn't like any of that stuff because he tried to pursue pleasure as his source of joy. And ultimately, if you make that your ultimate source of joy, it doesn't satisfy. Uh, Another poet, Cyrus, as in um, Miley Cyrus, uh, tried to find joy in money. And she once said this, getting more money, having more hits, being the lead in a movie, those things don't make you happy. So joy doesn't come purely for money. Joy, uh, other people try to find joy in fame. This is L.A. After all, uh, Johnny Depp said, I hate fame. I've done everything I can to avoid it. Actually, what he said was, I hate fame. I've done everything. Anyway, I won't get any further. Um, <laughs> if you're a teenager here, let me just give you a word of wisdom. 
Being famous on Instagram is like being rich in Monopoly. One of the things we've noticed about being in California is people work very, very hard at trying to look and be joyful. It's a very serious business. You've got to look, you, we work hard at being happy above all else. Uh, people want to look happy. They want to, uh, they want to sound happy. They want to feel happy. They want to smell happy in every way they're doing life. They're going about it. It's, it's like, uh, and if you don't feel like that, the mode is you put on the mask and you fake it and you try and make yourself look happy. The view is, you must be happy the whole time. Thank you, Pharrell Williams, for that stupid song, which we all sang last year. But of course, it doesn't work, ultimately, if we operate like that. Because we also know life can be tough. How do you find joy in a rough moment of life? How do you find joy when life gets tough, when the going gets difficult for us? How do we experience that and allow it to carry us forward? And there's this thing which Christians do at this point, is we talk about a contrast between happiness and joy. Uh, happiness, the root word hap, uh, linguistically, uh, actually means luck. And so there's a sense of happiness comes when you have circumstances work out for you, you kind of feel a bit lucky, and, and you feel happy. And so the contrast we make then is to say, well, that's different. happiness is that, uh, but joy is different. Joy is regardless of circumstances, it's regardless of the stuff you have in your life. And there is a truth to that, but I also think there's, a, there's an unhelpful uh, thing we're making there. It's almost like we're creating this dualism which says, oh, you can only really be joyful when you ignore the things of this life. Uh, and it's this kind of abstract, uh, philosophical, spiritual thing. That's where you only get joy. And you shouldn't really be getting joy from stuff and things and, and, and living life. And I want to actually argue that that's a, a false understanding. We're meant to get joy from both those places. You know, God's the God who became human. He actually really likes this creation. He's the God who looked on his creation and said, it's good. And part of the way he's wired this creation, which we get to live in, is, is it meant to, it's meant to bring joy to us as well, the way we live life. Uh, so let me, let me unpack that a bit more uh, for you. There is this sense that joy is a choice and joy is a gift as we go through life. We, as we think about life, there is this, the French call it a, a joie de vivre, a joy from living. Here's some examples of what that looks like. It's the delighted squeals of three-year-olds running around in someone's backyard on a hot summer's day when the sprinkler is going and they dash in and out of it. Uh, joie de vivre is when you have the exquisite beauty of that perfect beachside sunset which you feel has been painted just for you to view. You have it when you, uh, when you have that celebration, that burst of energy, when you're out playing sports, you're on the, on the soccer field and you make the perfect shot or the perfect play, the perfect move, and this joy fills your heart. You have a joy that comes uh, when you have that waterfall of emotions that flood th through you when you share that first lingering kiss with the one who turns out to be the great love of your life. Joy is happiness over an unanticipated or present good. It, it, and what it does is it stirs us to cry out to God. It stirs us to pursue him, to honor him, to, to seek his face, to, to praise him. People have thought about this a great deal over the, year, over the years. Uh, obviously, if we're going back to this theme of joy is a choice and joy is a gift, 
And we, we lived in both those things. In the medieval church, there's this fascinating practice on Easter Day. And the church would gather in the evening of, of Easter Sunday. And they would have this service. And halfway through the service, the priest would step down from preaching and he'd begin to tell jokes. And then people would stand up and they'd do comic songs and, and there'd be this riotous laughter and kind of big party that took place. And the reason they were doing it was because it's Resurrection Sunday. And the resurrection is the ultimate joke against the devil. If you think about it, Satan thinks he's killed Jesus and stuck him on the tomb and sealed it up. And Jesus comes out and goes, ta-ta, I'm here. <laughs> uh, I won. And he goes down to hell and he preaches there and lets people free. He doesn't go down to hell kind of all grim-faced. He's like laughing and full of joy because he's totally defeated the plan of Satan. And so Christians get together and they celebrate that fact. There should be a joy about that. The Orthodox Church still does that, actually. They, they have this time, this Sunday after Easter, they tell jokes as part of their celebration of the resurrection life. And we should have something about that in who we are. We are the people of the ultimate story of joy and resurrection, and we live that out uh, in our lives. Let me show you from the Bible how this works. In the Bible, what it shows us is lots and lots of circumstances of how joy takes place. And it gives us, uh, it shows us, first of all, um, how we can gain joy from the whole range of human experiences. So here's a few examples I've pulled out for you. Uh, we can have joy from having time with friends. Here's a scripture on the screen there from um, 2 John, uh, verse 12. Uh, it says, uh, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Uh, for Hannah and myself and our boys, obviously we're from England originally. In case you're wondering, no, it's not an Australian accent. It's an English accent. We do get asked by people who are not very good at listening. And um, uh, so anyway, we smile. <laughs> God bless you. Um, and every couple of years, we go back to England, and we, have, we see our long, long, long uh, standing friends. We've known for decades, some of them. And it's such a joy to see them again. We go and see my family. It's such a joy to see them. We go and see Hannah's family. It's such a joy to see them again for at least, I don't know, two, three minutes. It's wonderful being with my in-laws. Uh, the joy of the Lord falls upon me. It's very deep. Um, uh, another area where the Bible says we can have joy is marriage. Uh, this is a very interesting verse. It is in the Bible, Proverbs 5. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Now there's a verse we should be preaching on, Lou. All right? So isn't that cool that that gets to be in the Bible? We're all looking a bit prudish, right? No one's kind of looking around. At We're worried that is this legitimate? You know, are the elders going to get called in after the service? And I think what I was trying to tell is there should be a joy in the marital relationship. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be life and pleasure in there. And of course, if you take that verse literally and seriously and carry it out, here's the next area of joy because you then get babies. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Uh, in the literal sense of that, can you imagine when, when you see a woman who's longed for a child over many years and she struggled away and God blesses her with that child? What a joyous event it is. What a wonderful gift that is. And of course, we can take that in a spiritual sense as well. God loves to bring life to where there's been barrenness in our lives because God is a great joy-giving God. Here's another one we have up here. The next one is godly children. Uh, parents, you get to look at your teenagers at this point. Uh, but it says in Proverbs 10, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. If you have a child who's growing up wise 
And wisdom in the Bible is this fascinating concept. It's very much part of the character and the nature of God. It's the ability to see patterns in life. But wisdom itself, actually, uh, Solomon explains to us that it's, it's the ability to have a listening ear to God. We, we hear what God says, and then we get to live that wisdom out. We get to speak it forth. If you have a child who knows how to hear the voice of God and to respond appropriately and to live out of that. That's a, what a joy that is for you. Here's another one. We can get joy from harvest. So in the literal sense, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. So when, when we get to reap good things in our lives, God's provision, you get the unexpected check in the mail. If someone gives, comes and knocks on your door and gives you a gift out of the blue, uh, all, all the good things of life like that, we can get joy from that. And here's one more. Uh, you'll like this one. Eating food and drinking wine. God provides wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. God gives us these good gifts from creation to enjoy. Now, like any of these things, they can be abused. I'm aware of that. But at their core, they're giving us good gifts to us and, and to enjoy life. So the, 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 these, those are just a range, a sample of, of the Bible's talking about the, the human experiences that we all share which are meant to stir joy in us. And then alongside that, the Bible gives us these examples of a range of spiritual experiences that we get to experience. Here's again some verses. I'm going to keep going. So we get to get joy from salvation. The ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So as we think about what Jesus has done for us, he has set us free. He has saved us from our sins. He has saved us for a life of purpose and of destiny and fruitfulness. Here in this world around us, it's not just free fire insurance when we die, but we get to live a life of difference. That was a joke, by the way. Um, we get to live a life of difference today as you go about your lives. Jesus has saved you for something as well as from something. That should be a cause of great joy. Here's the next one. Faith. Uh, we read in 1 Peter, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, as we consider uh, our faith in Jesus, as we see that grow in our lives, as we put our trust in Christ, as we uh, live out the fruit of that, there's a joy that bubbles up in our hearts with this faith, which the Bible tells us is a gift. It grows within us, and that gives us a joy and a godly confidence in all the circumstances of life. Here's the next one. Heaven. As we ponder heaven, do you ever wonder what heaven's like? Anyone ever done that, had that conversation? I wonder what heaven's like. We sometimes sat around the meal table and have talked about the different animals and creatures that are going to be in heaven. I bet there's all sorts of creatures that God hasn't shown us on earth that we get to see in heaven. That's just my theory. I think it's a good theory, obviously. But there's going to be lots and lots of amazing things that he's just saved up for us to get to see in heaven. As well as the things we get to know about here. Can you imagine the colour range we're going to see when our eyes are perfected? Uh, and the, the, the list is, goes on, the sounds we will hear, the list goes on and on. But it says this uh, in Proverbs, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. So as we look forward to heaven, and it's, it's, it's good to look forward to heaven, uh, that there is a joy about that. Uh, here's the next one for us. Uh, being united with Jesus. What a wonderful future that gives for us. In John 16, now is the time of your grief, says Jesus, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. There will be a time when we are permanently reunited with Jesus and such joy there will be in that time. And so again, we can anticipate that and look forward to that, being forever fully encountering God's presence. And here's one more. 
We get joy from those we disciple, those we invest into. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? You see, as you invest in others, as you invest in the next generation, there's a joy that comes as you get to see the return that's happening in that person's life, the growth that's taking place, the, the changes that are occurring as Jesus takes greater hold of them. That's one of the benefits of being someone who chooses to disciple and invest in others. You see, there's, there's an overview of giving you that. I, I know there's a lot of verses there. I don't expect to remember them all. But I want to give you this, this feeling, this sense that um, in the Bible, there is a joy that comes both from the, from the range of human experiences and from the range of spiritual experiences. Uh, for the believer, joy is something which is common to human existence in general, but also there's this spiritual aspect to it as well. It's like as we, as we go through life and all the natural things of life that we talked about a moment ago, but those then become a springboard to greater reflection upon who God is, of experience encountering him and knowing him more deeply and then as we as we encounter God and think about things like salvation and faith in heaven those things then fuel us up to go back into this world and to experience that with a greater joy and a greater vivacity and, and fullness of life the two things become a symbiotic relationship now some people might say well isn't the gospel serious business because it's about life and death and indeed it is it's of the ultimate most seriousness, uh, the message of Jesus. It is literally about life and death. What path are you going on? And so it has this incredible weightiness and, and seriousness about it. And yet at the same time, at the same time, that doesn't mean a friend of God needs to be morose or grumpy cat Christian. There's these two things we, we hold together. Uh, think about this. Think about the cross for a minute and our response to that. The, 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 where Jesus dies and what the cross represents for us is the most pivotal moment in all of history. The most profound, mysterious thing. It's the thing that changes everything. And it is also a place of joy. We read this in Hebrews chapter 12 about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured. Consider him who endured. Um, we're meant to be this, uh, aware of the fact that Jesus has this joy because, and here's the key, because he obeys the Father. Jesus has joy because he's obedient. You see, joy is a choice, and uh, what Jesus chose to do was to be obedient, and because of that, it, uh, he, he experienced this incredible joy even in the face of the cross. Uh, it's like um, uh, joy, the level of joy in our life equates to the level of obedience in our life. If, if you, when we think about joy as a choice, if you want to experience more joy in your life, one of the issues you have to wrestle with is how obedient are you willing to be to God? Because if you're only going to be half-hearted obedient, you're only going to get half-hearted joy. Uh, Don Carson, uh, who's a theologian, wrote this. No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love uh, sin enough to enjoy its pleasure, and he does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. The cross was, for Jesus, is a supreme act of obedience, and it released for him the supreme joy. Uh, in the same way, we're meant to live like that. 
uh, Jesus uses this analogy. He, he equates it to a woman in labor. And he says that what generates her grief, which is childbearing, is actually going to be the thing that ultimately gives her a far longer-lasting joy in her life. And there's a picture there of, of how Jesus went to the cross. He took on this deepest pain to give all who believe the highest joy. So joy is a, is a choice that we can make. And one of the ways we measure it, one of the ways we grow in that is being intentional in our obedience to what God is saying to us. And as we are obedient to him, even when it's incredibly challenging and incredibly stretching and even incredibly painful, we experience, we open the pathway to this incredible joy that flows into our lives. And the early church understood this. They were characterized by joy. Uh, They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they looked like the joyful Jesus, that they lived that out. And so... um, we need to live in the same sort of way. We need to be known as the people so filled with the Spirit that uh, we, we are known as the joyful ones. So how do you become more full of joy? How do you become more full of joy? We've talked about the obedience thing, but, but what about when life is tough, when rubbish things happen to us, whether they're, they're, they're enormous, overwhelming things, whether it's just the, the stuff of life that really just frustrates us and grinds us down and lets us down and disappoints us. How do we respond with joy in those situations? Uh, I'm going to pick on someone here. I'm going to pick on Lou. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, Lou's car got stolen from outside the church offices. Uh, And um, so he he texted a few of us. We were talking about it. I I phoned him up and uh, commiserated with him. And um, and, and I said, "Um, what did the insurance company say? And Lou said, well, not a lot, because we only had the car insured for, for third-party liability. It was an old car. And, uh, and he said, actually, it's the fifth time we've had a car stolen since we moved to Long Beach. I said, I wanted to say to him, you're a bit of a slow learner, aren't you? But I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom struck for a moment in my life. <clears throat> but, um, but I said, well, how are you feeling about that? And Lou said to me, and basically said to me this, he said... Um, he says, we're not going to let the enemy get in here and rob our joy. He said to me, um, you know, we, we are so expectant for what Jesus is going to be doing here in this time, in these months ahead, and the years ahead, and we're not going to have something stupid like this to get in the way of that, to rob our joy. And I thought, good for you, mate. That's totally the right attitude we need to have. And, um, you know, that, the kind of getting your car stolen is probably, what, a middle-level frustration. I don't know how, how we'd rank those things. Uh, but that's the sort of thing which can, really can rob our joy, isn't it? and frustrate us. Uh, and I so admired that response from Lou and Laurie in that situation. And so how do we, how do we, how do we start to live like that? How do we start to live as people who allow uh, joy to more fully flow through our lives? And um, there's a famous example from the, the, the second shortest man in the Bible, that's Nehemiah. Um, <laughs> you know the shortest man in the Bible, don't you? Build out the shoe height, you know that one. So, um, keep up with me, come on. It wasn't that bad a joke. <laughs> the smallest person in the Bible, you know who that is? The man who slept on his watch. You lot are hard work this morning, goodness me. Okay, all right, I'll move on. I won't tell you about the largest lady in the Bible, the woman of some area. So, uh, <laughs> The first prescription in the Bible, you know what that is? The first prescription in the Bible? God said to Moses, take two tablets and go up the mountain. <laughs> anyway, back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you'll never hear his name the same again evermore. But Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. 
Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need to live out that there's a strengthening that comes from God's joy in our lives. Let me tell you a story. Uh, three years ago, I almost died. Uh, I had a congenital heart arrhythmia, which I'd had all my life, uh, and it suddenly played up and I collapsed. And um, so I won't tell you this whole story, uh, but it's for another time. But I was in a field, let pray, uh, I was out on a run, I was laying prostrate in a field, I couldn't move, and I was literally on the edge of death. Doctors were kind of, when eventually got me to ER, they were like, wow, we can't believe you didn't die. With, uh, my heart was going about 250 beats a minute, stuff like that, which basically is, you're about to die. Um, but, so I was in hospital for, for, for some days after that, and eventually did surgery, I'm totally better. One of the things where once they get it, and they, basically there's too much wiring in my heart, they had to kind of dewire a bit. Uh, that's the technical term, dewiring, uh, and they sorted it all out. Uh, but, but here's the thing that happened. I was in the hospital, and I can remember being there really clearly, and um, this overwhelming joy came into me. And uh, I felt God say to me, begin to thank me, just begin to praise me and thank me. And, um, you know, so thank you, Lord, for the machine that goes bing next to me that shows I'm still alive. Uh, you know, thank you, God, for the staff who served me. Thank you, God, for this bear that goes up and down and does cool things and thank you that you saved my life thank you for my family that I still get to invest into and, and so on and the Lord began to speak really powerfully to me um, and um, there was this joy that came over me in that situation very difficult very challenging situation quite a frightening situation at the time see I believe God's joy can bring strength into our hearts as we allow that to take as we choose the path of joy God will do that so I want to give you a few thoughts just to wrap up with on just how we choose that path of joy. Uh, but before I give you these things, uh, I want to um, let you know what we're going to do in a moment. In a few minutes' time, we're going to pray. And we're going to have folks available down the side and, and across the middle and the back who, want, who are going to be available to pray with us. Because I, I believe, um, we believe that the Lord wants to um, release his joy to us today. And there's a number of us who, when, I, when we read that verse from Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength, you would love some of the strengthening that comes from God in your life. Uh, you'd just love a fresh measure of God's joy to fill you up as you go through the circumstances and situations of life. Uh, and we're going to invite you today to say, come and receive God's joy afresh. Uh, come and receive his blessing, his goodness, his kindness. Because God's a God who's a rejoicing God. And he loves to pour that into us. So, so I'll give you a heads up so you can start thinking about that if you want to respond to that. Uh, just to encourage you, last Sunday, um, a whole bunch of people came and got prayer. Um, and um, we, we shared some words of knowledge for, for healing, uh, which, which Jesus gave, which obviously is one of the gifts of the Spirit. And a number of people came forward in direct response to that and got prayer and were really encouraged and, and met with the Lord. So we're expecting to see some healing take place there. So I just wanted to share that with you, just to give you faith for today that Jesus is at work in our community and he is answering prayer. And um, uh, so, so, yeah, I'm joyful about that and excited for what the Lord's uh, doing with us at this time. So before we pray uh, for one another, um, here's, here's a couple of quick thoughts on how you can choose joy. Because obviously it's a gift, but it's also a choice. So think about the choice thing. Here's some ways you can choose joy. Firstly, uh, you can choose to rejoice. You can actually make the choice to rejoice. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, Paul wrote that from prison. 
And it wasn't some country club prison. It was a grim, dark Roman prison dungeon cell where he was. And he wrote that there, and he calls the church in Philippi to rejoice repeatedly. That's one of the themes that flows through that letter. Uh, And he's saying, don't be controlled by your circumstances, because they don't determine your God-given identity, destiny, or purpose. Your circumstances do not control your identity, your destiny, your purpose. They don't control who you are, why you are here, what you've been made to do. They don't control that stuff. And so Paul says you can have a joy in your hearts that's uh, beyond whatever your circumstances may be. He says that 22 different times in different ways in his writings in the New Testament. There is a choice to rejoice. For Paul, it's a basic part of our spirituality that we choose to live a joyful life. He says again and again, this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Secondly, we can pursue God's presence. If you want more joy in your life, pursue God's presence. We heard at the beginning Psalm 16, which ends in this famous verse. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. As you choose to pursue God's presence, you will experience joy. The closer you get to God, the more joy there will be in your life. So if you're hungry for more joy, if you would desire to be a person who's not a grumpy cat Christian, but a joyful Christian, that you can live differently in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, and so on, then pursue the presence of Jesus, and that will transform you. The closer you get to Jesus, the more joyful you will become. Thirdly, and this relates to that, you can choose to worship and to pray uh, in Uh, Psalm 32, it says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And that's a repeated theme we read in the Scriptures, that we choose to come and worship God with joy. Uh, Prayer is like that as well. Jesus talks about us having joy in the house of prayer. Uh, And uh, uh, something we've experienced again and again is that in that place of worship, in that place of prayer, there's a joy that comes into our hearts. It's, it's an extraordinary thing to experience. And so I'd encourage you to be a praying person, to be a worshipping person, uh, and you will experience the joy that comes from God in those places. Uh, fourthly, simply ask God for more joy. Uh, it says in Acts 13, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, it is a gift of the, that, of the Spirit that God gives us. God will give you the gift of joy. He will give you that fruit in your life. And so sometimes you just need to ask or say, God, I want to be a more joyful person. Would you help me? Maybe the season you're in is not a naturally joyful one. So God, would you help me to be joyful at this time? And then finally, and maybe even most powerfully, uh, I want to give you a verse that I think demonstrates to us God's rejoicing over you. This is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine this? God is in heaven right now, and he's looking at you, and he's so filled with joy, he's burst into song. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? The creator of the universe, the creator of seven billion people alive on this planet, the creator who sustains every single cell in the whole universe, 
he stops to sing with rejoicing over you. In all your weirdness. He does that because he loves you. And so this sense of um, joy and of rejoicing is one which is deeply scriptural and one which is deeply profound and resonates with our hearts. You are meant to be someone who is joyful and you are meant to be someone who is rejoiced over. We get to do that as a community with one another as we celebrate and love and encourage each other. And also we get to experience that as God's Spirit comes and reminds us this is how God our Father sees you and me. And so we're going to pray for that now. Uh, So do you want to stand with me, please? Let's just pray together. Um, If you're part of the the prayer ministry team, if you're going to be praying, if you want to just move out into the sides or into the back there, you can be ready to pray with folks. So Lord God, we um, thank you for your presence today. And we say we're hungry for you. We're hungry for more of you in our lives. We're hungry to be men and women and boys and girls who are filled with your Holy Spirit. We don't want to be grumpy cat Christians. We, we say sorry for the times we've done that. We repent of that. Lord, instead, we want to be the sort of people who, who resonate and shine out because we're so filled with your joy. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the many little things in life that are causes of joy. And Lord, we pray also that you would open our hearts and our minds to recognize the great spiritual truths that bring joy into our life as well. And Lord, I want to pray for um, uh, any here who are um, uh, just in difficult times, that you would um, begin to release your joy into them. You bring a fresh measure of joy. Lord, release joy. Joy that comes even in difficult circumstances. Joy where there's challenge. Joy where there's questions. Joy where there's sickness. Lord, I pray you'd release your joy now. So Lord, as we, as we choose to focus upon you in this place of worship for the next few minutes, this place of prayer, this time we can set aside to do that. We pray that you'd release your joy into our lives. That's like a deep, refreshing draft of cool water on a hot day, that it would, it would satisfy and, and refresh and, and bring your life and bring your abundance, bring your goodness. Thank you, God, that you are smiling over us right now. You are dancing and singing and shouting with joy, with rejoicing over every one of us because we're your children, we're dearly loved, and we belong to you. So, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We praise your holy name. So we're just going to continue to pray and to worship now. Uh, Jason and the team are going to lead us in some worship. But if you would like prayer for joy in any area of your life, uh, if you need prayer for healing, we're going to pray for that as well. Just step out over the next moment now and there's folks down the front, down the sides, in the back corridor, and they'd just love to pray with you. So why don't you start moving out now, go and get prayer, and uh, we're just going to bless you and pray for the Lord's joy in your life.